0: Can you believe the Sunday before Christmas? 2020 is almost over. That is uh, just amazing. And I'm so excited about what we'll have in 2021. You know, Christmas is such a wonderful season. I just think about the holidays and the times that I just really love. And Christmas is it. You know, the gathering of family, uh, focusing on the birth of Christ. And I just think about, you know, our Our advent for this morning, joy. You know, the fact that Jesus came should fill us with so much joy that transcends understanding, that transcends our circumstances. And um, I was thinking about uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 32, that just says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know, Christmas is such a wonderful season, but the fact that Jesus came makes everything good, no matter what is going on. And uh, just knowing that God loves us and cares for us. Now, this year has been a challenging year, and I think Christmas, that's one of the things, I don't know about you, but, but I've thought about, you know, in the Christmas season, the time that as a church and as a pastor that we celebrate the coming of Jesus so often, The Christmas season is full of so many distractions. Where are you going to go for Christmas? Are you going to go anywhere for Christmas? What are you going to do about family? How do you get gifts? I mean, would you just think about all the things that can be so distracting and so overwhelming over the Christmas season. The thing that I've been praying about and the thing that I would encourage all of you to just think about and pray about is that we would dwell on the fact that Jesus came, that we would truly celebrate that. You know, I was thinking about when Jesus came, um, it was really a troubled time for the nation of Israel. This is one difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But you know, um, God's promise to the nation of Israel was as long as you are faithful to me, you will be blessed. Um, You will have victory over all of your enemies. Everything will go well. Anybody who blesses you will be blessed. Anybody who curses you will be cursed. As long as you obey me, everything in your life will go well. And that, that was a promise for the nation of Israel. And one of the things that we see is that every time Israel disobeyed God, he would raise up enemies to come in and punish them, and, and they, they would just be, um, just be difficult. And instead of being blessed, they would be cursed. And uh, God never gave up on that promise to send Jesus and to, and to keep a hold of Israel. But during this time in Israel's history, um, religiously, um, Israel was corrupt. The, the spiritual leaders, when you think about Jesus' ministry with the Pharisees, they were religious, but they didn't have a heart for the Lord. They were being punished by the Romans. God gave the Romans to be in charge of them and to, and to um, conquer them because they didn't faithfully worship God. And that is the time that God sent Jesus. And there were a few people in the nation of Israel that we're waiting, that we're ready, that we're looking forward to this Messiah that would come and turn everything around. And that's what we're going to be reading about this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 38. And so we're going to be seeing the fact that Jesus came. That is a historical reality. But what is so amazing is that that historical reality, that thing that really happened, has incredible theological significance. It has incredible personal significance for you. And so we're going to see that, just what it means that Jesus came and was born. And then the other thing we're going to look at are the witnesses, that the people that were there, that announced, that saw, that just verify um, th- what happened with Jesus. And, and one of the things, there's two things as we read through that. I want to challenge you to think about two things. One, think about Joseph and Mary and how the, they were impacted, what they did. What do you see about Joseph and Mary in this passage? And the other thing is these people who are the witnesses that are, that are seeing, that are proclaiming, think about how they responded to the truth that they discovered. Because that's how you and I should respond. We should follow their example. So let's jump in there and let's read Luke chapter 2. We're going to start by reading verse 1 through 7. And just to give you a little bit of background, um, the book of Luke was written by um, Luke, who was Paul's physician, and he traveled. And one of the things that Luke did is Luke did this historical research, and he interviewed people, and he spoke to eyewitnesses, and he recorded what happened. And it's amazing because Mary was alive during the time of, that Luke was doing this research. And so it's quite likely that, that he actually interviewed Mary and that, the, that these things come potentially from Mary herself. And so that's a, just an amazing thing for us to look at. So let's, let's read this passage. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So that is the historical account of Jesus being born. When you think about that, it is so amazing. So first, um, uh. Joseph is going to travel from Galilee down to Bethlehem, and that's about 90 miles. And so he's going to make that trip. And uh, it's just so amazing because we see God's sovereign hand, his sovereign control. When you think about the fact that there are all these prophecies that were made about Jesus, I'm just going to list a few from the Old Testament, that he would be born of a virgin that he would be God. That's from Isaiah 7, 14. You go all the way back to Genesis 3, 15. God promised that he would send the seed of the woman to redeem mankind. That uh, Genesis 12, that that Jesus would be of the seed of Abraham, that he would be a descendant of David, that he would be preceded by a forerunner. That's John the Baptist. That he would be born in Bethlehem, which is not where Jesus, uh, um, Jesus' parents lived. They, they lived up in, in Nazareth. And, and yet Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. And then you think about the fact that he would be called a Nazarene so that he would be from, he would be somebody who grew up in Nazareth. When you think about all the prophecies and all the details, and when you think about how complicated it would be to accomplish every single one of those things, the timing involved, politically what moved Jesus from Nazareth to Bethlehem was a ruler deciding that he would take a census. And that had to happen at the perfect time so that Jesus would move down, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Just think about what that means about God's sovereign control over the details of life. That, that, this, that Jesus talked about all through the Bible, all these things just work out perfectly. You know, that does a couple things. One is that it gives you confidence that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. And that's going to fill us with joy, incredible joy. The second thing is think about this. If God is that sovereign in sending Jesus, which was an expression of his love for you, if God loves you so much and if God could take care of all those details, think about the mundane details of your life. Sometimes the things that are difficult, that are stressful, that are challenging. And if you would just know that that God is in control of every detail in history. He has a plan for all of mankind, but his plan includes the mundane details of your life. This God who loved us so much that he sent Jesus loves you so much that he is working out all the details in your life. Um, so Jesus comes, and uh, Jesus travels to Bethlehem, and, or his parents travel to, to Bethlehem, and he's born, and he is laid in a manger. Now, I just think about birth. Um, when, when we have babies, where do we go? We go to a hospital, right? And we have all these trained medical professionals. And uh, even people who are, like, on the way to the hospital, I've thought about that. Jesus was not the only one that was born with just his mom and dad. I mean, throughout history, tons of people have been born in that way. In fact, even today, there's people who get in a taxi cab, and they're rushing off to the hospital, and a taxi driver delivers a baby, or, or somebody gives birth in a car on their way, they deliver their own baby. I mean, you think about those things, and just how challenging and how just difficult that would be. I just know for me when, our, when, when, when uh, Michelle went into labor with Jessica, like I was driving in the middle of the night down the road and there's like there a red light. I look both ways. There's no cars. You know, I just went through. You know, I got to get to the hospital. And you think about that even in that situation, we have all these medical professionals there. That we got the ambulance on the way. We have paramedics on the way. Jesus came and Jesus was born with just his mom and just his dad laying in a manger. Um, this is a, a, a picture of probably the type of manger that Jesus was laid in. It was just a st- something carved out of stone that they would put hay and that they would feed animals in. And Jesus, when he goes to Bethlehem or when his parents go to Bethlehem, um, the place is full because everybody's going to be registered and there's no room. And here, Mary's about to give birth, and they go off into the stable where they have animals. And Jesus is born, and he's laid in a manger. You know, when you think about that, what that means about Jesus, you know, Jesus could have, God could have sent Jesus to be born in a family of royalty with all kinds of the medical professionals of that day. But Jesus was born in a common place with common people. None of the advantages that many rulers have Jesus was born as an ordinary person, just like you and me. So it was pretty rustic. And uh, the, the theological significance of the birth of Jesus, two incredible things. Uh, the first thing is that Jesus is fully God. And that is so important. If, and we see that in Isaiah 7:14, it says, "Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign." Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called. You shall call his name Emmanuel. And that, that's just Hebrew for God with us. In Jesus' life, Jesus claimed to be God. Uh, the, uh, everybody who wrote about him, the disciples, they identified him as God. Jesus in John eight fifty eight, called himself by God's name. He said, I am. He used God's name to describe himself. When Paul was writing to the Colossians, he said that in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. Jesus was God in the flesh. And when you think about the theological significance of the fact that Jesus is God, Jesus was holy. And what that means is that when Jesus, as our high priest, when he stands as our mediator, he doesn't have any personal sin that he needs to deal with. Jesus came to deal with your sin because he's perfect. When Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus was punished for the sins of mankind, he was not punished for his own sins. He was punished for our sins. Uh, when you think about the penalty of sin, um, any sin against a holy God is eternal. It is. It is a infinite price. Um, that needs to be paid and because Jesus was God because Jesus is God he was able to bear that punishment for all of mankind and so the fact that Jesus is God is significant the second thing is that Jesus was not just God but this birth was Jesus taking on humanity It's because Jesus existed eternally, but at his birth, humanity was added, and Jesus was fully human. He was truly human. Um, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, and as we think about the theological significance of this, Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2 and Hebrews uh, chapter 4, when we think about what it means that Jesus died for us as a human Hebrews 2.16 says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation, that's to satisfy God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Think about this. When Jesus took on humanity, it means that he is your merciful and faithful high priest. He knows how you feel. He cares about you. He comes to your rescue. Because he was tempted. When you struggle, when you're having difficulties in life, Jesus knows how you feel because he lived it. When you look at chapter 4, verse 15, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then this is the amazing thing. You know, when you think about who Jesus is and the fact that Jesus came and what Jesus says about our devotion and our commitment and what it means to be a Christian, we are to be completely and fully devoted to Christ. And here's the encouragement. There are many times that we struggle, that we make choices that we know dishonor God. We make choices that we know are not what God wants. And this, look what it says here at the end. It says in verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we wander away from God, when we disregard the things that, that we know God says about how we should live, there is always forgiveness. When we repent, when we turn to Christ, there is forgiveness, there is a merciful, faithful high priest where we can find mercy and grace. That is just an amazing blessing when we think about the fact that Jesus is God, but he is also man. So that historical account, let's look, um, secondly, at how people responded, at the testimony, at the witness of people who saw this birth of Jesus. So we're going to start in verse 8. So this is the second thing that we're going to see, is that God affirmed this event through reliable testimony. Um not just through the the gospel writers that's reliable testimony, but through the people in Jesus' day. I think about the fact that you have all these prophecies all throughout the Old Testament that point point to Christ, but then there's also like the near prophecies when Um, The angel Gabriel showed up and told Mary and told Joseph what was going to happen. You have those things all happen. And then here are the witnesses, the people who announced and declared the coming of Jesus. Let's look at verse 8. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, for they were filled with great fear and the angel said to them fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord and this will be a sign for you and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger and suddenly there was a and, and, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Now, when the angels uh, see Jesus, um, they praise God. When they see the salvation, when they see what God has done, remember that when angels sinned, God created hell. When people sinned, God promised to send a Savior, and the angels are just marveling at salvation, going, I can't believe that when mankind sinned, when they rebelled against God, He sent a Savior to save them. Verse 14, the angels say this Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom He is well pleased. When the angels see the birth of Jesus, they glory and they praise God for who Jesus is. Let's look at the shepherds. The, the angels announce this to shepherds. And shepherds were, you know, they, they were just blue collar workers. They were regular people just working, taking care of sheep, doing what Israelites did. And they're out in a field, and God chose to reveal himself to shepherds. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So when you think about the reliability of the message, when God sends an angelic messenger to give a message, you can trust that. And that's what these angels, that's what these uh, shepherds did. And this is what they say. They say in verse 15, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So these shepherds are proclaiming, they're talking, they're telling people these amazing things. And then look at verse 19. This is amazing. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for what they had seen, heard, and seen, and what had been told to them. When you think about the, 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 the shepherd's response is to glory and to praise you think about Mary. She takes a step back and she just ponders these things. She just thinks about them. She's heard from Gabriel. She's watching all these things happen. And in this first Christmas, she's treasuring her, in her heart these things when the shepherds come and report these things to her. Look at the next one in verse 21 uh, through Simeon. Let's look at this. We're going to find out as well when you look here that Mary and Joseph were spiritually faithful people. Think about this, teenagers. Um, Mary's probably 13 years old. Joseph is probably 14. Maybe he's older. We're not told exactly their age, but that was the age that people at this time got married, was between 12 and 14 years old. So think about this, like a freshman, sophomore in high school. Um, that's what's happening, and, and this, these, uh, these people, this family, they are a spiritually faithful family. So they're going to go, and they're going to meet Simeon. Let's read this, verse 21. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. You know, Jesus' parents faithfully and diligently obeyed exactly what was written in the law of Moses. They obeyed what was supposed to happen with kids. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Um, Simeon is an old man and the Holy Spirit promised you are gonna see the Messiah before you die and Simeon when he lays eyes on Jesus he blesses God And and Simeon knows that this salvation that comes through Christ is not just for the Jews, it is for the whole world. And so he blesses God. And then look at verse 33, the reaction of Joseph and Mary. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall of And the rise of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Now in that passage again you see that Mary and Joseph are marveling at what they hear. And what Simeon says to Mary is something that's very significant for us to think about. Every single one of us needs to decide how we are going to respond to the coming of Jesus, to the birth of Jesus. Uh, Look what it says here in verse 34 in the middle. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. You know what that's talking about? That Jesus is going to present himself and some people will reject him. That's going to result in their fall some people are going to accept him, that's going to result in their rise. Everybody has to decide, how will I respond to Jesus? Will I accept him as Lord? Will I accept him as the God who has come to die for me and redeem me from my sins? Or will I reject him? And as we read the gospel message, we see that Jesus presented himself to many people. And some some bowed down and worshiped him. And others said, nope. I'm going to take religion on my own terms, and it's going to be without you, Jesus, or just I reject everything. And so we see the rise and fall, and and at his birth, Simeon's telling Mary, you're going to see that. And then he also tells her that she's going to be pierced through her heart. When you think about this for Mary, um, her her life with, with Jesus was challenging. Um, Think about um, just as she saw people accept Jesus and she saw other people reject him, just how that impacted her. There's a passage in the Gospels where um, Mary and all of his siblings, they go to get Jesus and they're just feeling like, man, he's lost his mind. Look at all these things he's doing. And just the pain in Jesus' life. And then in addition to that, for Mary to sit, Um, through Jesus' trials, through his persecution, through his crucifixion on the cross, and for for Mary to watch those things happen to Jesus. That was was a very painful, difficult, challenging experience. And, And she lived that out. She was a mom who loved her kid and who saw that happen. And so you have Simeon, and he's announced this, and he recognizes Jesus, testified through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 36 and also through Hannah. And Hannah is a prophetess, and we're going to find out that she was newly married, and her husband died, and she was a widow. Again, dedicated her life to following Jesus, to to following God, to worshiping in the temple. Um, But she had a very difficult, very challenging life. Let's read this, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. And she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and praying night and day. And coming at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So here she's a... She's a a widow, and that's a very difficult type of life. And so she goes, and she just dedicates herself to worshiping and to praying. And as soon as she sees Jesus, she goes, and she just starts proclaiming who he is to everybody. So she spoke to everybody. When you think about praising and you think about this Christmas season, as we dwell on it, as we think about the fact that Jesus came and Jesus was born one of the ways that we praise Jesus is we talk to him, we talk about him with people. And that's one of the ways that we praise God, we talk to God, we bless God, we thank God, but we also speak to people. And in this Christmas season, we have great opportunities to think about what the true meaning of Christmas is, to celebrate it personally, and to proclaim it to people. When you think about this the, the first coming of Jesus, there was so much mystery. Uh, people knew that there was gonna be a Messiah, and then as this happened, they get Jesus' name, they get the timing, and, they, and all these details start to make sense. And so people are waiting, but it's kind of like it's kind of this fuzzy situation. They're not exactly sure how it's going to work out. And then they, all of a sudden it happens. And for us, we have the privilege and the blessing to be able to look back and to see all of those prophecies and then to see the way that it worked out and then for us to be reminded that we have prophecies that Jesus is going to come again. And so for us, we should be like Simeon. We should be like Anna. We should be eagerly waiting for the return of Christ. That's what we'll be talking about on on Christmas Eve. So here's what I would just challenge us with as as we leave here and as we think about this Christmas season. First, the birth of Jesus is objectively true. It's, it's a true fact that happened. Objectively means it's true. Subjectively is when it's whether or not it's true for us. The birth of Jesus is a fact, and it doesn't matter how you see it. It doesn't matter what you think of it. It is an objective historical fact. It fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Everything that was announced happened. The angels notified everything that they told the shepherds actually happened. Simeon recognized Jesus, Anna Anna recognized Jesus and told everybody about him. And there is a theological significance to the fact that Jesus was born as God and as man. And I would just say that this is a personally powerful event. It should inspire us to worship God It should inspire us to live a holy life. It should inspire us to worship God directly and to worship God by proclaiming Jesus. Um, Let this season be about Jesus. In the midst of everything going on, dwell on and think about the fact that Jesus loves you, that he came to die for you and to make a way for you to be saved. And then Jesus, as, as believers, Jesus is with us throughout our life. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your birth. The fact that you um, took on humanity and that you died in our place. And Lord, that, that you were born. And Lord, we think about just the celebration and the joy and the way that that affected everybody. And Lord, I pray that that your birth as we celebrate it would have that same impact on us. That we would have a joy that transcends all circumstances. And Lord, that we would be able to think about who you are, what you've done, and the incredible love that you have for us and what that means for our daily life.